Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. My name is Caroline. I'm a covenant member here at The Well. I co-shepherd the Cedar Park Whitestone CG with Chris Aubrey, and then my husband, Austin. Um, Today, we'll be reading John 13, 1 through 17. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into this world and that he had come from God, he was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, family, how are we? That was awful. How are we doing today? There we go, much better. Hey, you might have noticed from the scripture reading uh, this morning that we are not in the book of Titus uh, because it's a retreat weekend with women's retreat this weekend, men's retreat next weekend. We decided to step out of the book of Titus today, but continue in our theme of teaching about discipleship. And if you've been around the church the last few weeks, we've been talking all about what does it mean to be a disciple? What is discipleship? And um, what we're trying to do at talking through discipleship is kind of reorient and even adjust some expectations of what discipleship is, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be his disciple. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks even still talking about this as we work through the book of Titus and even today in John 13. And I think this matters so much for us as a young church. Right? This is deeply connected to our vision and our mission as a church family. Right? Our, our vision is where we're going. Right? Vision is we want to plant 100 churches nationally and internationally. And, and our mission is, is what we're about, who we are, that we want to make much of Jesus by reproducing disciples who impact the world for the glory of God. And I am 100%, 100% convinced that we will not accomplish our vision and our mission without the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and if we take discipleship to Jesus seriously, right? 
that as a church, we have to take this call to be a disciple and to make disciples seriously forever to see what God wants to do through us and among us with the nations as a church family. Amen? Amen. So as a church, we've said disciple, a disciple is someone who loves, follows, and serves Jesus. And we've said discipleship is helping people love, follow, and serve Jesus with all of themselves. We've used this graph a few times already showing there's really a spectrum of discipleship. That Some of us think about discipleship just as a one-on-one coffee shop or one-on-three meeting. And yes, amen, that is discipleship. But there's another aspect of discipleship that is corporate, like what we're doing right here in the Sunday gathering, worship and teaching and communion and CG groups and mom's Bible study. Those are aspects of corporate discipleship. And as a church, we want to do both well. That all of us tend to lean on one side or other of that spectrum. But if we limit ourselves to just one side of that spectrum graph, we actually miss out on what God wants to do in us and through us. And actually you miss out on God too if you limit yourself just to one perspective. And so we want to pursue holistic discipleship. And that's why we're talking about it so much in this series. Uh, as a staff team, we're literally praying that over you is that we would pursue holistic discipleship here at The Well. Um, so all this week, I've been reflecting on two really big um, questions, two really important questions. And the first question is this, why do so many of our staff team members love pineapple on their pizza, right? That is just gross and disgusting. I have questions about their integrity and character. I love the claps over here. Thank you. And the second question that is totally not related whatsoever is this. How did Jesus do discipleship? Right? If we're talking about discipleship is loving, following, and serving Jesus, let's ask the question. How did Jesus do discipleship? And I think in John 13, Jesus models for us what discipleship can look like. He literally said, I'm giving you an example So Jesus is modeling something here for us. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to do a high-level overview of John 13 and just tell the story of what Jesus is doing. And then I want to zoom in to the details of John 13 and see five ways Jesus models discipleship for us today. So for my type A brothers and sisters, there is your outline. All right, you ready? Let's go. So there's so much about this story in John 13 that I love. John gives us a really important detail at the beginning. He says that they are gathered together in a low lit room around a table. This is not a Joanna Gaines farmhouse type table. This is a table that's low to the ground. And Jesus and his disciples are gathered together around a dinner table. And this is a intimate dinner party among 13 friends. I believe there's a few candles that give light to the room. And Jesus and his disciples were preparing to share a meal together. By the way, think about this. Sharing a meal with close friends and talking about what God is doing in your life, that's a form of discipleship. And Jesus is doing that right here with his disciples, that many of Jesus' discipleship moments often happened around meals with friends. And so Jesus, on this night chose to spend his last meal with his closest companions. But this wasn't just any dinner party. This was Passover, John tells us. And Passover was the festival of freedom, that throughout the centuries, Jewish families would sit down for a Seder meal. 
and they would use special words. They'd have special food, they'd have special drink to remember and celebrate that all that God has done for them, rescuing them from slavery and bondage in Egypt. And I imagine on this night, the smell of roasted lamb filled the air. I imagine the room is just full of conversations. And the other gospel writers tell us that on this night, some of the disciples were actually arguing over who was the greatest disciple. They were arguing over status and title and importance. They were saying, who is the best disciple among us? As they're arguing over that, Jesus does something that catches the entire room by surprise. Suddenly, all the conversations in the room stop and all eyes are on Jesus. Jesus begins to take off his outer clothes. He begins to take off his clothes. And can I just say, if the last dinner party you were at, someone started taking off their clothes, you're at the wrong kind of dinner party, friend, and you need to upgrade your friends immediately, right? No one should be doing that. And so Jesus, he stands there and he begins to start taking off his clothes. John 4 says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. That he, he takes off his clothes. He wraps a towel around him. He pours water into a basin and he begins to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with a towel. Right, John's story right here is supposed to offend us and embarrass us. That maybe in our Western culture, we don't see this as clearly, but in the ancient world, feet, they were not talked about, right? They were the most undignified part of the human body. That in the ancient world, foot washing was an act of hospitality that only a servant or slave would do. Feet were disgusting. And I have to imagine Jesus and or his, Jesus' disciples are puzzled and they're embarrassed and they feel awkward in this moment, right? Here's their rabbi, their Lord and their teacher washing their feet. No one was wearing Nikes and socks back then, right? You're walking through dirty, dusty roads where animals and livestock walk and where animals and livestock use the bathroom. Feet are disgusting. And here Jesus is, he puts on the uniform of a servant and he washes the most undignified, that he makes the dirty clean. And so while the disciples are arguing over who is the greatest disciple, as they're arguing over his titles and status and prestige, Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who's actually worthy of all titles and praise, he gets low and he kneels in servant love. And here we see Peter watching Jesus go down the row, washing the disciples' feet. And Peter's thinking, do I say something? Do I not? Do I say something? What about now? Do I what? And finally, Peter does. He says, Jesus, don't wash my feet. Are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus kindly says, you don't know what I'm doing, but later you will. He's like, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Peter goes from don't wash my feet to give me a bath, head to toe, right? And Jesus is like, bro, we're actually not doing that. You missed the point again, right? Jesus is doing something far more than Peter realizes, right? Jesus is after more than Peter's hygiene here. He's after his heart. And this is a good reminder that discipleship is about our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Peter's mind was confused and his heart was troubled. And so Jesus moves towards him with a towel. 
And I have to be honest, I think we're more like Peter than we care to admit. That all of us find ways to avoid Jesus, to keep him at a distance saying, Jesus, I don't want you to see the dirt and mud in my life. I don't want to see the mud that I've been drugged through and I've drugged other people through. Jesus, stay at a distance. And guess what? He moves towards you with a towel in hand, with grace and compassion. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Do not hear those words as words of condemnation, but words of grace. Jesus essentially tells Peter, you can't have my forgiveness without my presence. And I wonder if so many of us in the room today are looking for forgiveness. We're looking for freedom. We're looking for hope. We're looking for healing. We're looking for a sense of worth and we're trying to do it outside of the presence of Jesus. And all of those are found in the presence of Jesus. And so Peter realizes that Jesus is doing something spiritual here, not just physical, that this was a moment for him to grow in his own discipleship and Christ-like character. This story in John 13 is a microcosm of everything Jesus came to do. That this story highlights the gospel and Jesus gives us an example of what discipleship can look like in our daily lives, both personally and corporately. Amen? So I want to now zoom in and focus on five ways Jesus actually models some of this for us in some details. Sounds good? The first way is this, that Jesus models for us that we're to find our identity in God. Go back and look at verse one, two, and three there, right? Uh, If you're new to reading the Bible, I want to give you some encouragement that what gets repeated in the Bible over and over and over is worth paying attention to. It's worth highlighting. And the one word that gets repeated twice here is the word new, that Jesus knew his hour had come, meaning he knew his purpose and his calling from God. Second, that Jesus knew what the Father had given him. In other words, Jesus knew his identity was anchored in God. Jesus knew his identity was anchored in God. He knew who he was and whose he was, and he knew his purpose and mission in the world. And I think for so many of us today, particularly those in our early 20s and early 30s, we struggle with this sense of identity, right? We struggle with who we are and what we're about. And we tend to build our identity, unfortunately, in maybe one of three ways. Either we build our identity around what we do, right? I am my job. I am my career. I am my vocation. And there's a danger that we can find our sense of self in what we do or what people think of us about what we do. The second maybe way we can build our identity at times is what we have, our looks, our possessions, our intelligence, our lot in life, that we we build our identity around what we have and what we own. I think the third way sometimes we build our identity is around what we desire, how I feel, what I long for, and what I love, right? We can build our identity around what we do, what we have, and what we desire. And so often we look for these things to give us purpose and meaning. And please hear me, at times that can be good. But when we give those things too much weight, too much importance in our life, they can't bear the weight of our identity. And when one of those things is challenged or conflicted or goes away, we have what's called an identity crisis. And that is of the enemy. The truest thing about you today is that you are a son and daughter in Christ, beloved by Jesus, that God calls you beloved, he calls you saints. And so God calls you something before he calls you to something. This is your identity in Christ. So let me just ask you, 
What is shaping your identity today? What are you allowing to shape your identity? TikTok, podcasts, TV, people you hang out with. What has the primary role of shaping your identity today, right? Discipleship is both corporate and personal. It's meant to press our identity into Jesus, right? At women's retreat this weekend and at men's retreat next weekend, both groups are studying the book of Ephesians. And you know what the number one phrase repeated in the book of Ephesians is? In Christ, right? That Paul wants to press our identity into Christ Jesus. That he wants to remind us that our identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. It's not what we have. It's not what we do. It's not what we love. It is in Christ. Right? Think about this. God wants you to have the family resemblance. Right? When you walk in someone's apartment or house and you see some photos, you go, oh, yeah, I can see how he or she looks like so-and-so. Right? When people look at us, do they see the family resemblance of Jesus? And if not, what are they seeing? Right? Do, do you have the family resemblance? Think about this from a corporate aspect of discipleship. That when we gather in this room to worship and to sing songs, yes, that's about praising the glory of God, but it's also pressing our identity and the character of God and who he is, that we need both. Right? So let me ask you, when you show up on a Sunday gathering, are you fully showing up? Are you fully present? Are you engaged? Are you saying, Jesus, help me place my identity in you. Help me remind me of your character and your glory and your goodness because I need that daily. Are you showing up, asking that, longing for that, crying for that, or are you just checking a box until brunch? Discipleship is meant to help us find our identity in God. And so what is currently shaping your identity? That's something worth reflecting on. I think the second thing we see that Jesus models for us is that Jesus is about seeking the will of the Father and his kingdom, right? This is so small, but go back and look at verse four. It says this, it says, he, or so he got up. So he got up, right? The evening meal was already in progress. The dinner was already happening. It's not like Jesus forgot all of a sudden to wash the disciples' feet, right? It was already happening. That word so points backwards to his identity and calling. That because Jesus knew the Father and what the Father commanded him, why the Father sent the Son, because Jesus knew the Father's will, says, so he got up. So he got up to do kingdom-type work. That because Jesus knew his identity, he was able to get up and do God's will and work for God's kingdom. Right? So much of Jesus' life and ministry was devoted to doing the will of the Father and establishing God's kingdom. Right? When you know your identity you're free to pursue God's will and purposes in your life, right? Again, God calls you something before he calls you to something. So here's the question for you, saints. What is God calling you to do? Where is God calling you to get up and do kingdom type work? Notice what else is happening in this passage here. Jesus was with Judas for three and a half years. Jesus or Judas walked alongside Jesus for three and a half years. He shared meals with Jesus. He heard Jesus' teachings. He even did some ministry alongside Jesus. And yet, I believe Judas did not allow himself to be discipled by Jesus. He allowed himself to be discipled by something else. It says he was prompted to betray Jesus. On Friday, uh, Casey and I had lunch at Whole Foods and we were just catching up, chatting about life and family and ministry and heart stuff. And we got onto the topic of technology and distractions and just how easy it, is, easy it is for all of us to live lives that are distracted, that we live distraction by distraction by distraction. 
And it got me thinking, what if the devil's greatest goal in life is not to tempt you towards big sins that wreck your life? What if the devil's goal is to distract you from Jesus in small ways that end up wrecking your life, right? What if the devil's goal for your life is actually distract you from Jesus, that the world wants to disciple you, the world wants to distract you from Jesus. So many things want to distract your faith, minimize your faith, or push it to the corner. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Disciples know the will of the Father, and they get up to do his kingdom-type work. So here's my question for you. Where is God calling you to get up and serve in his kingdom? Right? If you know your identity, where is God calling you to get up and serve in his kingdom? Third thing we see is that uh, Jesus models for us that our lives are to demonstrate pictures of the gospel. Right? Jesus here models servant sacrificial love. Right? He, he gives his disciples an object lesson before he teaches them the lesson. And I wonder if sometimes our, our eyes need to see before our hearts can believe the truth of what God's trying to do, right? The text says that Jesus is both Lord and teacher, both learning and living, belief and behavior, like uh, Yusuf taught us a few weeks ago out of Titus, right? If he's willing to be your Lord, he's also gonna be your teacher, and that the pattern of his teaching should become the pattern of your life. I'm fully convinced that the Christian life is meant to display the beauty of the gospel daily that our good works, that how we live our life, how we spend our money, how we think about friendships and so many other categories of relationships, all of those things are meant to highlight the beauty of the gospel, right? First Peter says this way, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and they glorify God on the day he visits. So let me just ask you, if your coworker this week shadowed your life for a week, would they see Jesus? Like, like generally, does your life point to Jesus in all the ways and facets of it? Do people see Jesus when they follow you around? If not, we have a discipleship gap there. And we have opportunities to grow in personally and corporately around that, right? And then Jesus says, blessed are you if you do these things, right? Jesus believes that we can actually do this. He actually believes in our ability to do this with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so foot washing not only teaches the gospel, it teaches the Christian way of life. It teaches how to, we're to live in God's kingdom and God's economy. I think the fourth thing we see here is that disciples are called to make themselves low and lift Jesus high, right? Go back and look at verse six. It says, he came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not now realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. He said, no, never wash my feet. Unless I wash you, Jesus says, you have no part with me. Uh, every night at dinner time, my wife and I ask our three-year-old daughter, Emma Ruth, to go wash her hands, get cleaned up before dinner time. And usually after some crying and some tears and some bargaining by the parents, uh, she agrees to do it. She gets cleaned up, right? Here in John 13, this is Jesus at a dinner party. He didn't forget to ask the disciples to get cleaned up. He's doing something very different here with washing of the feet, right? To wash another person's feet, you gotta get low, right? Jesus puts on the uniform of a servant and he takes the posture of humility to serve his disciples. I, I, I believe that this passage should come with a warning label, right? Humility is good for your soul, 
but harmful to your ego. Which do you care about more? Humility is good for your soul, but harmful to your ego. So which do you care about more? I think so many of us struggle with this idea of making ourselves low and humility. One, because we have this self-image that we want to project onto others. We want other people to see us a certain way. We want other people to see us as important or successful. Again, achievement, status, titles. We're just like the disciples. Or that we have it all together, right? Tim Keller says it this way. He says, pride is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, to achieve our own sense of self-worth and find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life all without God, right? The voice of pride says, I can do it. The voice of pride says, I'm better than you. And the voice of pride says, God, I know how to run my life without you. Thank you very much. That is the voice of pride. And I think the opposite of pride is this idea of humility. Humility says there is no self-image to project. There is no ego to soothe. There is no pride to protect. Right? The voice of humility says, because I am already deeply loved and valued in Christ, I can get low and serve in Christ-like love. That because I already know my value and worth, I know my calling, I know my identity, I can get low in humility and serve others. Right? Think about this. What is the motivation of humility? Like, what's the motivation for humility? I think it's love. Right? Love has two twin daughters and their names are humility and sacrifice, right? Love gives birth to both humility and sacrifice. Think about it this way. First uh, John says that God is love. God is love, God is loving. And so because of that, Jesus steps out of heaven, wraps flesh around him, takes on humanity, moves into our neighborhood in the mud of it all, and he serves sacrificially. And we see that even on the cross, which is the best picture of God's love because for God so loved the world, he what? Gave his only son in humility and sacrifice to serve us. Think about that, to serve us. So let me ask you, what uniforms in God's kingdom are you not willing to wear? What uniforms in God's kingdom are you not willing to wear? Because Jesus would get low to then lift others up, right? He would get low to then create resurrection life for others. Are you willing to get low to create new life for other people? Are you willing to get low to serve and lift other people up and point them to Jesus? Think about this, foot washing does not appear really anywhere else in the New Testament after this story. Foot washing doesn't really even appear in other early church writings after this story. Why is that? I don't think it's because they, they heard Jesus' command to do this as an example and said, ah, it's not for us. I'm going to ignore that. I don't think they ignored Jesus' command. I think the early church, they contextualized Jesus' command. And they consistently asked themselves, who can we serve? Who can we lift up? What uniforms need putting on that we can put on to serve and lift others up and point them to Jesus? What needs do we see around us that we can get low and serve in humility? Because again, it's not about our pride, our status, or our achievement, or any titles. It's about Jesus. Where can we get low and serve others? Amen? Okay, I think the fifth thing Jesus models for us here is this, to look to the cross. Disciples are women and men who look to the cross. In verse seven, it says this, Jesus replied, you do not uh, realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. 
That word later points to the cross. It's this idea that Jesus had his eyes fixed on the cross. That was his goal. That was his finish line there, right? Jesus knew that his hour had come, that his time was to come to the cross. His entire ministry, all of his teachings, they pointed to an ultimate end, which was the cross, right? Jesus is doing something physical here that pointed to a spiritual reality that was about to take place hours later on the cross, that he stoops himself low, he makes the dirty clean, and he dies on the cross, right? The text says that Jesus took off his outer clothing, his outer garments. So often in the scriptures, clothing or cloth is representative or an example of either righteousness or sin, right? Isaiah says dirty, filthy rags are like our sin, right? Uh, white linen and robes can represent cleanliness, holiness, righteousness. A purple garment represents royalty and righteousness. And here Jesus takes off his robe and he takes a towel and he gives us something clean to take away our dirt and sin. Right? Paul says the exact same idea in 2 Corinthians 5. He says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That here Jesus, he gives us his righteousness and he takes his sin or our sin upon himself at the cross. This is what theologians call the great exchange, that Jesus pays the penalty of our sin for us on the cross, that we deserve the death that he died. And instead, he gives us freedom, hope, forgiveness, and new life. He takes our worst that we did upon himself. Upon himself. Jesus points his disciples this night to the cross. And Paul and the other New Testament writers in all of their letters to the churches point disciples to the cross, personally and corporately. I believe that the heart of discipleship is learning to daily look at the cross. Daily look at the cross. And so are you tempted to sin? Look at the cross. Are you tempted to despair? Look at the cross. Are you tempted to doubt? Look at the cross. Are you tempted towards bitterness to someone? Look at the cross. Are you tempted to feelings of unworthiness? Look at the cross. Jesus wants his disciples to be women and men who consistently look at the cross. So what is at the heart of your discipleship relationships? If it's not the cross and the grave, you're doing something wrong. Come on. Discipleship is about looking at the cross. This is what Jesus models for us. It's not just a dinner party where someone gets their feet clean. Jesus models for us discipleship about finding our identity in God, being women and men who seek the will of the Father and his kingdom, that our lives display the gospel and how we live, that we look to the cross and we're willing to get low and serve others. This is the invitation and challenge that Jesus gives us as his disciples. And we have so many ways to do this, both personally and corporately. The question is, do you take discipleship seriously? Where I start is where I wanna end. We will never get to where God is calling us as a church, our vision and our mission, unless we are men and women who realize we need God's grace, we need to be empowered by the Spirit, and we need to take discipleship seriously. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Let's pray. So Father, you were good and you were gracious and you were slow to anger and you were abounding in love. And we see all of that clearly portrayed in the life of Jesus with his disciples in this story. 
Lord, what's so remarkable is that Jesus, that you actually serve us. Jesus, that, that you give us new life, that you died on the cross, you gave us your body, you gave us your righteousness, you gave us your holiness, that Jesus, you serve us. And just how wild is that? Because you love us. So Father, I pray that as we, as we begin to enter into a time of communion, that we would come to the table with grateful hearts, with hearts recognizing what you've done for us that now we want to do for others. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, for the, the people in this room today um, who struggle with believing in your goodness, I pray that they would read John 13 again and see your love. Lord, for those in the room struggling with pride, Lord, I pray that you would show them your own humility, that that would melt hearts. Lord, for those struggling to even serve, Jesus, I pray that you would help them see the ways which you serve them. You would bless them and use them. We pray all of this in Christ's holy and beautiful name. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.